Well, how's it going? Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, I wanna I wanna begin with something unrelated to where I'm headed, teaching wise. This morning, we're talking about service part two. But um, I want to begin by just having a, a just a, a minute of prayer and for our nation in light of the election that's coming up, and um, just say just a couple quick things. Um, in light of that. So it, there, there's no doubt that, that the election that's coming up is uh, just weighs heavy uh, on Americans, on our hearts. Um, it's just very different than probably uh, most in, in history. I'm not a historian, but um, I've been alive a little bit. And so um, there's just no doubt that there's some things that are very weighty and very heavy about um, the future of our nation, the future of our country. Um, but here's, here's some things that I just want to say as, as we as I just lead us in prayer, um, is that God isn't scrambling in heaven as to what the next presidency will look like, or he's not scrambling up in heaven as to um, what in the world is going on. Um, In fact, Romans 13 says that God establishes um, those that are in authority, Um, that God is absolutely in control. Um, And so here's all that I want to say is that my hope and my prayer is that in this season of restlessness and uncertainty, um, that it would push you to the Lord. That it would push you to the Lord to pray. Um, we're called to pray for our country. We're called to, called to pray for our leaders. We're called to pray for our president. Um, that it would lead us to pray. More than we worry, more than we gossip, more than you rant on Facebook about your opinions about this or your opinions about that, but it would lead us to pray with believers and not be divisive and divided among believers. We can differ and disagree, but not. But, but I just believe the enemy wants to divide and be divisive in the midst of, of these days. And I just want to call us as a church to first and foremost rest in the fact that God is sovereign. He's in control. And his desire is that these days would push us into his presence, not further from it or further from each other. And so um, let's pray in that light. Um, Father, I thank you so much that you're God and that I'm not. And, uh, and God, we just we rest in you. Um, we rest in you for, uh, for our country. We rest in you for all that's taking place and will take place in the world. And God, we thank you that you're not taken by, you're not caught off guard, you're not shocked, you're not worried. Um, and God, we, I don't understand that. Um, and so, um, Father, I pray for each one of us that this election, that these days would press us into your presence, that it would draw your church together to pray more than we rant and more than we complain and more than we um, spout our views. And so, um, Father, um, I just right here in this moment pray for whoever you have to be our next president, and I just ask for wisdom and grace and, uh, and you to sustain as you always have and as you always will. And so, Um, God, thank you. Thank you for the moment that we find ourselves in to trust you evermore and uh, to be the people of God evermore. God, would you 
move among us now as we talk about service, as we look into your word. God, I need your strength. And I pray that you would move in ways that only you can do. And uh, God, you would have your way. Um, in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, um, we did like part one. So if you weren't here last week, let me just fill you in. We talked about the idea that the goal of service is to bless. Serving to bless. We looked explicitly at a text that talked about expecting nothing in return. Is that true Christian service is such that um, when done biblically, um, there's not strings attached. There's not this back door. I'm going to get you here because I'm going to manipulate here. But it's I'm going to bless you with the tangible presence of God. Um, this week, what I want to do is I want to, I want to build upon that. Is I want to take that a, a step further and talk deeper about that. Um, because the difference is, rather than, than viewing service as a, as a task, what I want to build out for us is kind of a framework for how do we structure our lives in such a way that we can be people who are, who are servants. Um, and so if, if you're a human being in the room, um, congratulations. Um, but but how, how many of you are like, like task list people? Like you like writing like, here's what I want to accomplish today. And at the end of the day, like you look down, there's nothing ticked off but like you, but like, because uh, you don't really accomplish it. How many of you are like, I don't make lists, I don't like, this is not me at all, I just go. Um, regardless of wh- whether you're a list person or not, um, you're, you're task-oriented, you're task-motivated um, in your job, um, in your family, coming up on the holidays, there's things you have to do, you have things you have to accomplish, there's tasks in your mind regarding all these different things, and there's tasks in our mind even regarding our, our faith, even regarding our, our faith. And so, like, last week you hear a message like, serve to bless, right? And I challenge you, find a neighbor. Anybody find a neighbor? Find a neighbor that you can begin thinking through, praying through, that you can serve to bless. Anybody have a story like, here's an opportunity I had to bless somebody expecting nothing in return? I was like, maybe, maybe somebody here has a word from the Lord and wants to share it. I'm just stand up whenever you get bored here in the next few minutes, and then you can talk. Um, but it's very easy to, to sit through um, a message like last week and then just put on your list, okay, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and I got I to gotta find somebody to serve just to bless this week. And we just pile that on to our list of to-dos and our list of our, our tasks that we're supposed to do, um, hoping it gets done. And uh, I, man, I, I want to free us today. <laughs> Because that's very heavy and burdensome. Um, and there's no doubt that service sometimes is heavy and very, feels very task-oriented. Um, but I believe that God has desired and structured a way that we would live our life um, that would be a little more freeing than that and would empower us to live differently. And so um, I, I want to talk about three things. Um, one, the idea of, of God as servant. I want to specifically look at the idea that God is a God of hospitality. So I want to dive into that a little bit. And then I want to talk about our appetite and then how God has governed those two in such a way and protected us through Sabbath, which is the third one, that would line us up to have a framework for, for being hospitable servants. And so if you're like, want to know where we're headed, that's where we're headed. Um, so here's the question. God is a servant. 
I, I said it's something like this last week. Uh, we're never more like God than when we serve. I think in everything that we see and everything that we do, we should be able to point back to how does this originate from God. And so we looked in depth last week about God as servant. I want to Taking that a little bit deeper in light of hospitality, and some of you are sitting here like hospitality, like I'm, I'm horrible, I'm not hospitable, I can't cook, I can't clean, I can't like. Okay, so let me just scrap all those notions of what hospitality is or isn't. I'm gonna just show you who the Lord is, and then let that define it. Um, for, first off, I'll say this: that fundamentally, the idea of hospitality simply means to welcome. Um, deeper to welcome strangers. Some of you, like, you love, like, anybody like stranger people, like, I'll just go love meeting, meeting people I don't know, love strangers. Some of you are like, I hate strange people, like, I just don't want to talk to you. Um, hang on. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, but, but to welcome strangers, and it's rooted in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, here's what Leviticus 19 says. Uh, and I'm going to kind of be all over the place, so for those of you that are, like, going to try to turn in your Bible, um, good luck. Um, Leviticus 19, it says this. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. That's crazy. It's like this is a stranger, and God's calling um, Israel to treat the stranger just like you treat your own tribe, just like you treat your own people. And you shall love him as yourself. For you, what's the motivation here? What's the motivation that I would, I would treat strangers um, like my own family? Look what it says. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God's setting this foundation. He's reminding the people of Israel that, listen, um, you were an alien. You were a nobody. You were a stranger in the land that I made perfect and was was distorted by your sinfulness, and I redeemed you, I fed you, I clothed you in the wilderness, and I made you my people, and I brought you my own into my own land and that you could call your own, giving you health and life and peace. He's like, let me remind you of this, that this is who you are. And then, and then it, he, it's repeated again in the New Testament, so this is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. So let me stop for a second and just say that um, this, this is Paul writing, basically describing all those who weren't God's chosen people, Israel, and saying, listen, you didn't meet any of the requirements. There's nothing like, you could have done by law to actually be accepted by me. You weren't my chosen people, and so you're uncircumcised, you're unclean, you're a nobody, you're not welcomed. But I made a way for you to be welcomed. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. It's hospitality. It's God saying, come on, you're a stranger. You're, you're weird. Even though you're created in my image, like this little sinfulness thing, like that's weird because God doesn't know anything about that, right? He's holy. But yet he's like, 
I bring you near because of the, the hospitality, the work to do hospitality through Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, one pastor puts it like this. When we practice hospitality, we experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our fears and our stinginess and all the psychological gravity of our self-centeredness. And there are few joys, if any, greater than the joy of experiencing the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of people who love to reflect the glory of his grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. I love that. Like the idea that there's no greater joy than, than welcoming people because we've been welcomed. And when you actually walk in hospitality and welcoming to others, what we're actually doing is we're, we're shattering the fears in our lives. We're shattering the, the self-centered, the, the gravitational pull to just be selfish. We're shattering that through the gospel's power for us to live out the very work that God's done. Because God is a God of hospitality. So that's the first part of the framework. Um, the second is I want to talk about appetite. And appetite is, a, is an interesting thing. Um, actually, in Hebrews chapter, 12, or chapter 13, this is what it says in Hebrews 13 too. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So, listen to the warning here. Do not neglect. So, the the writer of Hebrews is giving this warning that there's going to be a tendency in your own soul and in your own heart to neglect the service of welcoming people. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, like you're sitting in a waiting room, and there's like people all around, and you're just like head down, like I, I won't talk to anybody. Now that's not always wrong, but like I've, I've noticed that even in my own heart, and even in my own soul, like there's times like I don't want to be welcoming. I don't want to initiate conversations with people I don't know. I don't want to like I'm tired, or I just that's just not in me. Well, the scriptures caution us and warn us against the self-centered nature of that. Okay, use the example of gravity. Okay. Um, The very reason we're sitting in these chairs right now is because of the gravitational pull that's pulling everything to the center of the earth, right? It's holding us down to the center of the earth, and what it takes to fly away is what? Thousands and thousands of pounds of energy being put, say, in a space shuttle that would then rocket itself off the launch pad and into the universe, okay? So why, why, you know, like, why are you talking about gravity? Listen, because naturally, if we just go with, with how we naturally operate, it's to self. It's to my own self-centeredness in the same way that gravity pulls us to the center. Um, the idea of naturally in our own flesh, the most, the most natural thing is to neglect hospitality. The most natural thing is to neglect hospitality because it's the path of least resistance, right? It's just easier for you to sit, right? Like, try to jump up and touch the ceiling. It's just easier to sit. 
Now, for those of you that are like, okay, like you're going to climb up the top of the rail, and like you, you're, okay, but for all, all of us normal people, like you're just like, it's just easier to sit. It's natural. And the writer of Hebrews is like, be careful. Don't neglect hospitality. Because I want to do marvelous things through your generosity. And he even uses the example of you might be entertaining angels unaware. So at the root of hospitality, we're talking about loving strangers. Pushing against this tendency to just be self-centered, to be just a, I'm in my own thing, I'm doing my own thing, I'm surrounding myself with, with things that are about me. But here's what I want us to realize is that this has to overflow out of a heart that's transformed. Okay, I talked about appetite. I talked about what I want us to see there is this, this picture of what is it that stirs our affections? What is it that we long for and crave? And naturally, apart from the Spirit of God intervening in us, apart from the Spirit of God working in us, it's going to be our flesh. We're going to serve our flesh. We're going to naturally surround ourselves with people that, that we prefer or that we like or that what's easiest. And as the writer of Hebrews says, don't. Do that. Don't neglect to do hospitality. It's like the hard work of cultivating relationship, right? Like whether it be with a spouse or whether it be um, with uh, a child, uh, whether it be with a friend. Like those, like, like initially those relationships, like they get going and then all of a sudden like you begin to, begins to fade, right? Like you have to work at it. Like, unfortunately, uh, you have to work at cultivating relationships in the same way that when we think about our, our appetite, like, naturally, we don't want to do the things of God. Naturally, we want to serve our flesh, serve our own agendas. And so you see how this can become just mere task. It can become mere, well, I just, I just got to do this. I just got to do this apart from a picture of what God designed in relationship with him is that we'd actually pursue him and yearn for him to do this work in us. Okay? Which is actually taking the hospitality of God and asking him to daily, moment by moment, recaptivate our hearts with what he's done. Okay? Like... If you ever get bored with the fact that we always come back to the gospel here. Like, why do we take communion every Sunday? It's because we always want to bring it back to the proper motivation for why we live and why we exist and who we're called to be as the people of God. That's why. Is that God would once again stir our hearts and stir our affection. Like, go in the scriptures and look over and over and over again. How many times the scriptures say, remember? Right? It's like, well, we think I'm a moron? Well, I don't know. It says it a lot, though. It says remember a lot. Because our tendency is to get dull. Our tendency is to not just continue serving. Our tendency is to build patterns of unhealthy self-centeredness around us. So I found this story this week. In the 14th century, there were two brothers who lived in what's now called Belgium. Uh, one was a duke named Renald and his brother Edward. And they had, like brothers can tend to do, they had kind of started to fight and not get along. And the younger brother, 
decided to take out the older brother, and so he developed a plan to uh, get back at his older brother uh, for whatever the, whatever the disagreement was. I, I'm not sure, but he decided, I'm, I'm going I'm to get him. And so he um, rallied a rather successful plan, and he um, gets his brother, and he traps him, actually builds, builds this room around him. And what's, what's crazy is the room would be like any room. It had doors. It had windows. And he trapped him in there. Um, and all he said was, uh, you're free to leave whenever you want. The problem was is that his brother was significantly overweight to the point where he couldn't just walk through a doorway. And so the brother had to obviously lose weight to go through the door. Um, seems pretty easy, right? You're enslaved, you're trapped. Well, uh, Edward, his brother, knew his appetite and knew his struggles. And so every day he'd bring him the most amazing food, the most amazing meals. And he'd put it in his room and he says, you're free to go whenever you want, you can walk out the door. Well, the problem was his brother, Renald, his appetite was too strong and he, he, couldn't, he couldn't do it. Um, in fact, uh, he was, uh, the Edward was challenged saying, you're, you're being cruel. Like you can't do this. And he's like, I'm, I'm not being cruel. I'm, he's not even a prisoner. He's free to go whenever he wants. Renald stayed in the room for 10 years and actually wasn't released to his brother was killed in battle. And he was so sick at that point that his, his, uh, his health was so bad that he died a, a year later because he was a prisoner of his own appetite. Okay, so how, how's your appetite? Like, I can eat a lot. <laughs> like, not, not even just food-wise, right? Like, like what, do you, what do you crave? What do you long for? And where are you warring against that? You're thinking about it in light of hospitality, Right? Because we welcome the things that our appetite crave. So I just wrote down a few questions. Do I tend to only hang out with and welcome my own tribe? Or even the same people all the time? Do I get annoyed by interruption that could be divine moments to love and speak and serve with the gospel? Am I eager to tell others about myself more than I am about them? About, about hearing about them. How about here in our context? Do I notice and engage with visitors who come in the room, people we don't know, people that might be here for the first time, to welcome them and invite them, invite them in? Um, I, I have a couple of real practical steps. Um, tomorrow is Halloween. Um, it's the one day that it, like, people flock to our doors. And as God's people, it should be an amazing day that we have the opportunity to be hospitable to people and to cultivate the relationships around us with gospel intentionality. And so I would just challenge you and encourage you, I don't know where you're going to go or what that's going to look like, but to begin prayerfully, hopefully maybe you already have, how can you leverage where you're at and what you're doing in a way that would cultivate relationship, not just for tomorrow night, but even for the future? That's one really practical example. I know there's some families even in this room that are, that are doing that and have done that over the years in great ways. Um, what other open doors are there? People in your life that God would, would want you to man, take a next step.
to, to welcome them in, have them over. Like maybe you know them, but what other ways can you be more hospitable to them? They're there in all of our lives. And maybe the Lord would say, hey, here's the person. Here's their name. Um, I want to give you one other quick example. Um, so one of our uh, people we partner with, Plant Midwest, St. Louis Metro Baptist Association, they've developed this partnership um, called the Good Neighbor Initiative. You can go to um, goodneighborstl.com. Is that right, Jen? Goodneighborstl.com. So here's the deal. Um, if you go to their website, you can watch a video, and it talks about these individuals that started this refugee ministry. And every year, there's some 500 to 1,000 refugees that come to St. Louis. Now, any of you ever been out of the country and you've ever had to deal with what is it like to go to a foreign place where you don't speak the language, you don't even know how to get where you're supposed to go or navigate where you're supposed to go. So those are all the challenges that these refugees come and they have nothing. They come here and they have absolutely nothing and they need help. And so this organization, um, they've developed a way for the church to be the, the first people that these refugees meet to say, hey, how can we give you some clothes? How can we give you some furniture? How can we help you find a place to live? How can we help you find a job and, and love on you in that way? Isn't that amazing? So you can go to that website, um, goodneighborstl.com, and uh, you can apply now and get some more information about that. But these are all St. Louis local people that you just you stay in connection with once a month, and you try to cultivate a relationship with them and help them. Um, our appetites. What, what are the ways in our life that our appetite is drawing us away from being hospitable people or becoming more and more people of hospitality? So at the, at the beginning of May, um, I was playing basketball, and I was trying to be a young guy again, and I, I hurt my knee. Okay, not a new story for probably 99.9% of you in the room. Um, so I hurt my knee, and like any athlete, I'm like, we'll be good. I've had injuries before. We're good to go. Just keep on trucking. And so several, a couple months went by. It was hurting, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, and, uh, and I was playing in the backyard. I had some friends over, and we were swimming with the kids, and I re-injured my knee. And so it got my attention. I'm like, I need to do something about this. There's something going on. There's a problem going on. And so I went to the doctor, and... Um, they began to do what they do, take pictures, do all that stuff. And they're like, you know, you have a minor tear in your meniscus. And, uh, you know, it's totally up to you. If you want to go in and deal with it, you can. There's a chance. Like, it's never going to heal itself, but there's a chance that it might just be okay and you can manage if it's not hurting a lot. And so he basically, I'm like, Doc, like, I kind of want you to make the decision for me because you're the wise doctor. And here he's like, I'm, ne- I'm never going to tell you you need to go have surgery. I'm like, so... Um, I looked him in the eye and I said, I want to have surgery. And, uh, and so you guys know the story. Uh, he, they went in and um, it's always interesting when a professional who's been doing uh, surgery like this for 20 years uh, comes back and says, wow, that was an impressive injury. Way worse than we thought, unlike I've probably ever seen. Um, and so... Here's the, here's the crazy thing. Like, I'm on the mend and good to go. Um, getting better. 
But, but here's, here's the crazy thing. Here's why I bring up that story. Is that being healthy is not convenient. Anybody try to be healthy in the room and you're like, try to, like, is it, is it easy? Is it convenient? Is it just naturally like a part of, like, it's hard. It's hard work. Like, there was nothing convenient about me. I'm going to go to all these doctor's visits and pay all these copays and pay, pay to have surgery. Like, there's nothing convenient about that to, to now do rehab twice a week. And like, there was nothing convenient about that. But here's the thing that me going there allowed for. Is it allowed for an assessment to see, here's where I'm at. Here's what needs to happen. And now in walking through that door, I can be more healthy than I was before. You're like, what in the world does that have to do with hospitality? Here's the third aspect of the framework is rest. It's Sabbath. It's one of the most neglected things by, by God's people. Um, and one of the most neglected thing, things by myself um, Regarding what does it look like to be people who rest and Sabbath? Um, a couple of scriptures in Exodus 20, verse 8. You're familiar with this. You probably memorized it and have a song to, to even sing it. Um, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, how often do we do that? How often do we stop? Other than maybe right here where there's a guitar in like a nice room and got my coffee and my muffin and okay, God's God. But here, here's the thing is that God's designed life and his word in such a way that we would have regular checkups regarding our appetite and regarding being reminded of his nature and his character regarding his hospitality towards us. And it's called Sabbath I want to read two quotes that are pretty powerful. Before we keep a Sabbath day, we must cultivate a Sabbath heart. A Sabbath heart sanctifies time. This is not a ritual, it's perspective. And it's not a shift in circumstances, although we'd love for it to be, right? You still have the same job tomorrow. Um, the same problems with your aging parents or your wayward children, the same battle looming in the church, but you make a deliberate choice to shift point of view, to come to your circumstances from a fresh angle and with greater depth of field. You choose to see your life otherwise through a different lens, from a different standpoint, with a different mindset. Here's what it is. It's taking a, a day, enough time to be reminded that God is God. But Mark Buchanan goes on in, his, in this book called The Rest of God to say that a busy life, and listen, I'll be the first to say, like I'm looking in the mirror when I say this, and my wife and I are trying to figure out with all God's help how in the world this looks for our family. So I have no grounds to point the finger and say you're too busy. But listen, Mark Buchanan goes on to say that a busy life murders our heart. Listen to how he puts it. One measure for whether or not, and this is, I was just going to out the gate say this is unbelievably convicting, um, at least for me, so um, I need that. So even if it's just me here with this quote, here we go. One measure for whether or not you've rested enough is to ask yourself this. How much do I care about the things I care about? We lose concern for the people, both the lost and the found, 
for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty and goodness, when we cease to laugh when our children laugh and instead yell at them to quiet down, guilty, or weep when our spouses weep and instead wish they'd, they didn't get so emotional, when we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is that we hope it isn't going to involve us, when we stop caring about the things we care about, it's a signal we're too busy. We have let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed the ego but starve the soul. Busyness kills the heart. I think I'm learning that busyness is the number one robber of a hospitable life. Because we're always on the go, always on the go. There's no time to let God be God in your heart. There's no time to let God be God in your agenda and in your plan because you're constantly going, going, going. And listen, for good things and for kids we love and family we love and for Christian ministry and being the people of God. And I think God would probably in many ways call us and say, you're doing too much for me. And again, that's what my wife and I are trying to figure out. And so let me just define this for you. What is Sabbath? I just jotted these things down. I, I'm, they're they're going to be up on the screen, several things. I'm not going to explain them. I'm just going to read through them. What is Sabbath? It's setting aside a day to be reminded that we aren't the God of the universe or even your own universe. I love this. It's ceasing from doing what's necessary and embracing what gives life. It's taking time to anticipate forever. It's taking time to stop Creating and allowing God to recreate you. It's Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. It's being reminded that you once were a stranger and God welcomed you in. It's being reminded of what truly matters in life. Listen. The call to be God's people and to be servants is an unbelievable call. But the reality is, is that we can beat ourselves in the head with truth till we're bruised and bleeding. But that's not God's design for service. You know, we could stand up here, or, you know, you could, your spouse, you could tell your spouse, you need to serve me more, blah, 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 until you're blue in the face. But listen, God's design is that we would actually have a framework and a lifestyle to be people whose lives are set up under the governance of God to serve and be hospitable to people, which comes first and foremost by understanding this is who God is. This is the nature and character of God. And then God wants to infuse that in my heart by channeling my appetite and my desires away from me and onto others and onto Himself and the means by which he wants to make us healthy and protect us is through rest. Is through rest. It's an unbelievable good God who isn't just beating on us to say, you need to serve, you need to serve. He's saying, no, I have a life that's way more holy and way better than just people who do the task of serving. But I want to channel my spirit through you in such a way that, that it would overflow in how you live your life. I just want to wrap up by reading two passages. Matthew 25, 
This is a picture of Judgment Day. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly I say to you, As you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. Luke 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot repay God, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray. God, you are so wise. Thank you for your word. God, it's hard to read sometimes. It's hard to try to swallow sometimes. It's hard to try to govern our lives, to structure our lives in a way that models you. And so, God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, free us up to enable you to do that. God, where we've enslaved ourselves by our own appetite and we're trapped and in bondage to the appetites that we necessarily haven't chosen but that have come about through time. God, I pray that you would bring freedom here this morning. That where we sense inhospitality because of our busyness, God, we need your help. God, you long that we would be people who are the most generous and hospitable people that we would serve to bless others through lives that are welcoming and open. And that in the midst of those, the gospel would be proclaimed. And we would speak of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would work in my heart regarding these things as you have been this week, and that you teach us and lead us as you see fit. In Christ's name, amen.